It's Wednesday, October 13th, 2021, and this is the Locked On Jets podcast. I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. Thank you so much for making this show your first listen each day. Today we talk about Zach Wilson, two tight end sets, and more. It's our weekly mailbag ahead on the Locked On Jets podcast. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Each Wednesday, we do a mailbag show with listener questions. Thanks to everybody who sent in their questions this week. Let's begin. John, why do you think this coaching staff is stuck using 12 personnel? We seem to do very well when we put extra receivers on the field. That's where our best players are. We don't really have any tight end talent to speak of, but we stick with it. Is this to add extra blockers because our line isn't very good, or what are your thoughts? Well, I think that the system the Jets are trying to implement is very tight end dependent. I think they want the tight ends to be part of the run game, especially assisting with blocking. And maybe to a certain extent, they're trying to help the offensive line out. But I've been thinking this through, and... If you think about the way the Jets operated this offseason, it really did not make a lot of sense. If you were were putting in an offense that uses tight ends a lot, why would you not do more to address the position? It seems on paper like there's a disconnect there, and it is such a great disconnect that I almost wonder whether the people running the Jets think that these tight ends are actually good, because... I can't imagine we went through like the whole offseason and Mike LaFleur and Robert Sala and Joe Douglas never never discussed that, hey, tight ends are going to be important in our offense. It's not like we got to week one and for the first time everybody discovers, hey, we want to use a lot of tight ends. I'm sure this was one of the things that was discussed in meetings during the offseason. And that leads me to think that these people running the Jets actually believe that these tight ends are talented and they're just not. I mean, this is you could argue might be the worst tight end group in the NFL heading into the preseason. I think most of the hopes were that maybe Chris Herndon would emerge because Herndon had that very, very solid rookie season back in 2018. I mean, he was really the only hope we had for the tight end position. And I guess Tyler Croft is okay. I mean, he's a decent blocker, but this position's a weakness. And if you follow college football, And if you have followed college football for the last 15 to 20 years, you have watched the rise of what are called spread offenses where they put extra receivers on the field and they take players from other positions off the field, such as tight ends. And the idea behind the spread offense is sometimes misunderstood. I think a lot of people think that teams in college run spread offenses to throw the ball. And there are some cases where that's true. I mean, you could look at a lot of Big 12 schools where... They put four or five receivers on the field, and the idea is to throw the football. But spread offenses are also used to run the ball more effectively because one of the things that you find is if you take a tight end off the field and put a receiver in his place, that guy has to go either into the slot or out wide. Well, somebody has to follow him. So you're taking a guy out of the box that way. So some of the most effective spread offenses you see in college football are teams that are run-based, and they're spreading the field to run because it gives more space. It means that there's one less guy you have to deal with in the box. The running back now has more room to operate. The offensive line has to hit one less block. So that's why I look at this and I say, 
if you want to run the ball, you don't necessarily need an extra tight end. And I guess this kind of contradicts. I remember making this point in the offseason about how they were going to need extra tight ends. But the more I've thought about this, the less sense it makes. Because you can run the ball just as effectively with an extra receiver on the field. In some ways, it's easier because you have one less block you need to execute. I mean, it's not like the defense is going to leave an extra receiver unguarded. Then you just audible to a pass and hit him down the field on every play. So you're essentially occupying the defense. It's a different way of occupying the defense. Instead of blocking him, you're just removing him from the equation in the run game. I don't get it. Uh, Look at these tight ends. I mean, how can you think that these tight ends are good? Ryan Griffin's getting a ton of playing time right now. Ryan Griffin did not even make the initial 53-man roster. This was a guy you cut. This was a guy you exposed. You thought so little of this guy that you exposed him on cut-down day. He got cut and then re-signed a day later. Yes, I know there was probably an arrangement in place where they said, we're going to cut you right now. Can you re-sign with us tomorrow? I understand that, but there's always a risk involved when you cut a guy. You could, you know, if some other team comes along and offers him a better deal... It was always not, I know, I guess Ryan Griffin's probably not going to happen, but if that was to happen, you would have lost him. So this was a guy you thought so little of that you exposed him on cut down day, even possibly with a handshake deal in place that he was going to come back, but you you still took that risk. They're not taking that risk with a better player. They're not taking that risk with like Quinn and Williams. They're not taking that risk with somebody like. Corey Davis they're not taking that risk with Zach Wilson they took the risk that Ryan Griffin would sign with somebody else now he's like an integral part of the offense I don't get it I think that and I think that they actually believe that these guys are good and I think that that might be the disconnect our next question if you could add one weapon that's reasonable to help Zach Wilson who would it be and why for me it would have been Zach Ertz who by all accounts was available up until the end of preseason Trading a fifth rounder to give your rookie quarterback a security blanket and peace of mind on third down seems like a more than even trade. Yeah, I heard Ertz a lot. I don't know how much Ertz has left to offer, though. I mean, think about it this way. I mean, this was a guy who a couple of years ago was one of the premier tight ends in the NFL. And if he was actually available for a fifth round pick, that doesn't make sense. It shows you that Ertz is kind of on the tail end of his career. And I don't think he's that great anymore. If we're talking about players the Jets actually could have acquired, and I don't know if you're talking this past offseason specifically because I'm, I'm going to go back in offseason, but the one I really regret is Jack Conklin, who was a free agent. He was with Tennessee, and then he signed with Cleveland. I wanted him. That was my guy in free agency in 2020. And the Jets did not make a big push to get him. Now, listen, I'm not a big believer in overpaying in free agency. I'm not a big believer in throwing money around. But if you're going to overpay, if you're going to make a big splurge signing, you do it for an all-pro tackle. That's a guy. That's a case where I don't mind spending a little extra money because that's such an important piece. And in today's NFL, it's really tough to find quality offensive linemen. Now, at the time, I gave the Jets a little bit of a pass, and here's why I did it. The market for Conklin did not really emerge. And not only that, he had a pretty extensive injury history. And I was surprised that he did not get more money in free agency. And it did not seem like there was a very robust market for him. So I looked at this and I said, well, you know, there aren't a lot of teams that seem like they're in on him. And he has this injury history. Maybe the teams know something we don't know. Well, you look at it now. Again, he was an all pro last year, playing great for Cleveland. Guy who's kind of helped stabilize things for the Browns. 
helped Baker Mayfield out a lot. And if you ever wonder the impact of the supporting cast on a quarterback, just look at Baker Mayfield's career. Look at how good he's been when the Browns have put a functioning team around him and how bad he's been when they have not. And that includes the coaching staff as well. That's a kind of guy I would want. And instead, the Jets signed George Fant, who, let's be honest, has not lived up to the contract they gave him. The Fant contract was kind of a projection. They had this guy who was a developing player. He was relatively new to football, very athletic. I mean, the athleticism to play tackle. And they hoped that he was an ascending player and he would ultimately be worth the money they gave him. He hasn't been. Quite frankly, he hasn't been. And I think looking back on it, listen, I, I was a little uneasy with it at the time, but I was willing to give them the benefit of the doubt because Fanta was really a projection and Conklin, again, had that injury history. And not only did he have the injury history, the market really did not materialize. So it's not like the Jets were the only team that were kind of, that was kind of out on him. But now looking at the outcome, and really at the end of the day, you get judged on results. If you're a front office, if you're a coaching staff, that was a mistake. They should have been in on they should have made a bigger push to sign Jack Conklin. And listen, I appreciate Joe Douglas's approach to free agency normally where they're not going to go past the number that they think a player is worth, but that's a case where you do it. You do it when you have a chance to get an all pro tackle. So I think that, that was a miss. That and that's the one I look back on and I say the Jets should have gotten that guy. Now again, part of this is, of course, would Conklin have signed with the Jets? That's something we don't know. Jets have had some difficulty landing free agents in recent years unless they drastically overpay. So I, I don't know the extent to which Conklin would have been willing to come here, but that's the guy I thought they should have targeted. I was kind of disappointed when they did not target him, even though I was giving them the benefit of the doubt, and that benefit of the doubt is wrong based on the way things have played out. I guess the Jets thought they were getting a player with upside in George Fant. In any event, I want to tell you about an app called Get Upside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use promo code TOUCHDOWN. If you do that, you get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two or $300 a month in cash back. And there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code TOUCHDOWN. Thank you again for making Locked On Jets your first listen each day. Today we have our weekly mailbag and our next question. What would you consider a successful season for Salah, LaFleur, and Douglas? Team-level buy-in, individual player production or progression, standings, record, what would you consider successful for this Jets bunch? Well, I think it's all about progress. And I think we've seen through the first five weeks of the season progress. I do think the team is better than it was in 2020, which it would be difficult to be worse. But if this team is playing as well at the end of the season as it is right now, that's not good enough. If this team finishes with, you know, two wins or three wins that's not good enough I, I don't think this needs to be a team with a winning record but I do think part of progress does show up in the standings it does show up in the win-loss record because if you have players who are improving that means you're going to win more games and I was kind of I, I'm not going to say I was expecting a, a beginning to the season like this but I knew it was a possibility 
if you look at the way and everybody always talks about the way the 49ers were built because that's the way that's the staff Salah was on and by the way they're not doing so well this year but everybody always talks about the way Kyle Shanahan and Salah built the 49ers into a winner well that did not happen overnight they looked like a mess the first half of their first season together and they they just looked awful and I understand there are some things that are a little bit different but there's a lot of overlap with those two situations. And I think sometimes everybody, sometimes people forget that when a team is good, they forget how difficult it is, how long the climb was to get there. So I think there is some patience you need to have. I think that this is different. I, I will continue to repeat this. I think that even though the Jets are losing this season, this is different than what you've seen in past Jets seasons. I think the word rebuilding gets thrown around way too frequently in the NFL. I think bad general managers and bad head coaches use it as an excuse for their team's failures, even when they're not rebuilding. And I don't think the Jets have been rebuilding much in recent years. I think the Jets have just been bad in recent years. This is a year where the Jets actually committed to this thing. And it may I'm not saying it's going to work out. I mean, some attempts to rebuild are failures. I think that's the, the thing that frustrates people, that you're seeing this losing now without any guarantee that it's going to work in the future. But that's the plan right now. I think that there's a clear plan in place, and whether or not the Jets have the capability of executing that plan, we'll find out. I do think that there are some things we need to see this year. I think we need to see progress. I think we need to see wins at the end of the season. I think we need to see young players continue to emerge, not just emerge, but continue to improve. These are things that are very vague, I know. They're very difficult to quantify, and I don't even really have a record for you. I mean, a record is maybe the the best way to quantify progress in the NFL but I can't tell you it's going to be five wins whether it's six wins but I want to see this team playing well near the end of the season and if the team is playing well then wins are going to follow our next question comes from Steven why is Zach not running the ball himself at all wouldn't it open more opportunities for him so this is I guess kind of a hot take I don't think Zach's that great with the ball running the ball I think you know he's got enough twitch that he can evade pressure he can evade pressure in the pocket i think that he can move in the context of again evading the pass rush he can move left and right to buy himself some more time i don't think he's that good of a runner though and i know people i've I've seen people say zach wilson's a 4 5 40 guy i don't see that at all i watched every snap of his last year at byu in the lead up to the draft i can't tell you how many times he's one-on-one in the open field against the linebacker and gets taken down I just don't see it. I mean, I I compared that because I also saw every Justin Fields play last year, and Justin Fields is running away from corners. I mean, he's faster than corners. Zach's just not that fast. I don't think he's that fast. There have been a couple times this year where he's been in the open field where he's not been able to make things happen. There was one play, it was early, it was was the first drive against Atlanta on Sunday in London where he got taken down in the open field. There was a play against Tennessee where he tried to hurdle a guy, it didn't work. I mean, there was that disaster bootleg call and overtime on the goal line I I don't think he's that good of a runner I mean I think occasionally you can design a run in there to keep the defense honest I think that on the goal line maybe he can help you a little bit but I don't think Zach's a great runner and this is I guess this is kind of a controversial take because everybody seems to think Zach's going to be effective as a runner I don't think he's going to be that effective though hopefully I'm wrong you know hopefully he starts rushing for a bunch of touchdowns he starts making some big plays with his legs and everybody can make fun of me but That's the way I see it. Our next question comes from Greg. Hey, John. I had this fear when we traded away Sam Darnold that we actually had the right quarterback with the incorrect philosophy on how to build the team around him. The Jets would then 
start doing everything correctly on building a strong foundation for the young quarterback, but draft the wrong guy and continue to spin their wheels. The first five weeks seem to indicate my fears are warranted. Do you feel the same way? I think we need to wait. And I got to tell you, I mean, Sam was not very good on Sunday against the Eagles for Carolina. I watched that game. Yeah, I was, I was After the Jets finished, it was like 1 o'clock, so... I had to find another game to watch. I ended up settling on two games. I ended up settling on Green Bay versus Cincinnati, which if ever a game deserved to end in a tie, that was the game. Cause I mean, we had five missed game winning field goals in that one. That was a wild game. But the other game I watched was Carolina versus Philadelphia. Cause I just was not that interested by the slate of games at one o'clock on Sunday. So I was interested to see how Sam would do. Sam was bad. I mean, Sam may have been the biggest reason Carolina lost that game. He looked every bit as bad as he did during his worst Jets moments last year. But I think you got to give it time. I think you cannot take the temperature on a weekly basis because careers are very long. The season's very long. You're going to have ups and downs. Listen, three, four, five years from now, we'll be able to assess whether the Jets made the right move or not. And that's whether they made the right move drafting Zach Wilson, whether they made the right move trading Sam Darnold. Now, if Zach Wilson is successful, it really doesn't matter what Sam Darnold does. It, it, we, it could be a situation. Sometimes there are trades where both sides end up happy. It's rare, but it does happen in this league. If Sam Darnold fails, well, I don't know that that really lets the Jets off the hook if Zach Wilson's also not good enough. So there's a lot. there are lots of different potential outcomes here. I mean, of course, if Zach Wilson's good and Sam Darnold's bad, then obviously the Jets will made the right move. I'm not saying that the Jets are above judgment. At some point, we're going to judge whether or not they made the right move. But I just don't think you can read too much into any one week because, you know, three weeks into the season, everybody was saying, well, Sam Darnold looks great. Look look at the Jets. They've done it again. Well, the last two games, Sam has not been very good. Now, Zach has to be better, but he's also five games into his career. That's one of the reasons I don't love comparing the two right now is because Sam is in year four. Zach is just done with game five they're not really on the same level at this point. They're not really at the same stages of their career. So, I mean, listen, any fear is valid and it's always possible the Jets have made the wrong move. It's possible, you know, three, four or five years from now, we'll look back on this and say the Jets made a mistake, but we're only five weeks into the first season. I think five weeks is not a sufficient amount of time to really judge on these things. So we'll check in, you know, we can check in at the end of the year, see where things stand. But even at the end of the year, that's not going to be the end of the story. There's still a lot of football left to be played for these guys. So I just advise patience when we're judging these guys because careers are very long stories. We always want the immediate answer, but the answer only comes in years, not days. And if you find yourself getting really upset, cheer yourself up by getting a Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market. There are nine delicious flavors. And if you have not yet tried all nine flavors, you can get a mixed box where you get two each of all nine. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, it's promo code LOCKED15. It's one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D, number one, number five, for 15% off at BuiltBar, B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R.com. This is the Locked on Jets podcast on this Mailbag Wednesday. Our next question, Salah has stated that he likes his defense to be simple, to help players play fast. However, LaFleur's offense seems to take the opposite approach. Do you see this conflict in philosophy ever leading to conflict or change? 
That's a really good point. I have never thought of that, but you are right. Salah has stated he likes to keep his defense simple so that his players don't have to think a lot. His players can just go out and react. And not only that, if you're doing the same thing on every play, you essentially get experience against anything the offense can throw at you. So if you know an offense is running this route combination, you've seen it a hundred times because you're doing the same thing on every play. So you know exactly what to do. It's one of those things that helps players execute a little bit better. That's a good point. I, you know, we'll see what happens. I think it always comes down to results, but I had not thought of that. There, there, you know, there, maybe there is a little bit of philosophical clash between Salah and LaFleur. I think it's too early to say that definitively, but it's, it's an interesting idea. I do think Salah, based on the success San Francisco had, this is the offense he wants to run. But yeah, that's, that's a good point. I, I think it's worth watching. I don't really have an answer for that today, but it is definitely something worth watching. Our next question. One thing that drives me crazy are the penalties to extend drives for the offense and the inconsistencies on how they're called. My latest frustration is how can you have defensive holding on a run play? I'm not talking about a draw play or a screen or some other delayed run, but a straight up run. All the offensive players are run blocking from the snap, so how can a defender be penalized for this? It happened twice in the last two Jets games and more recently in other games. Worse, it's a first down. How can they call these? Well, holding is a penalty. You can't hold. If you hold, you get called for it. Now, it's rare you see it on the defensive line. If we, when it goes on the defensive, when there's a holding penalty on the defense, usually it's on somebody in coverage because they're holding the receiver. But you can't hold on the defensive line. The reason it's so rarely called on the defensive line is because, well, you have to just think about it. Typically, the defensive linemen are trying to get away from the offensive linemen. The reason you have holding on offensive linemen is they're trying to keep defensive linemen close. They're trying to prevent them from getting penetration. For a defensive lineman, you want to get away from an offensive lineman, so you're not going to grab an offensive lineman typically and you know pull him in. It does happen from time to time, though, based on the position, you know, based on the play call, based on where the leverage the defensive lineman has. But it is a penalty. You can't grab onto an offensive lineman. It's I mean it's going to be called when you do it. It's rare you see it for for the reasons I mentioned, but not something you can do. So it's not like it's a unheard of call. I've, I've seen it plenty of times. It's just not something you see as frequently as some of the other holding penalties. And our last question. Zach Wilson mentioned in his press conference that he was planning to spend the bye week at home in Utah training with his personal quarterbacks coach, John Beck. Do you view that as an indictment on this coaching staff? I do not. Listen, Zach Wilson's a rookie. I'm sure that this experience has been kind of overwhelming for him. You know, sometimes you just need to change the scenery. And during the bye week, the players typically get a couple of days off, so it's not uncommon that you travel home. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world that Zach Wilson goes home and gets a different perspective on how things are going with somebody he trusts. I don't view it as an indictment on the coaching staff at all. I, I think sometimes you just need to get away a little bit. Sometimes you need a different voice. And listen, this, this coaching staff will have plenty of time to chat with Zach about things. So I... I, I can't go crazy about that i think everything I, I i need to see a lot more before i'm willing to panic on anything like that anyway that's all for our show today thank you for listening this has been the locked on jets podcast part of the locked on podcast network as always if you enjoy the show subscribe to it and leave it a good review have a great wednesday everybody and we'll be back tomorrow to talk more jets